Hello and welcome to the More Than Books podcast. I'm your host, Joel, and today I'm joined by my co-host, Colin. Say hi, Colin. Say hi, Colin. Yes. <laughs> and uh, today we got an interesting topic of conversation. You may have noticed recently online websites either shutting down or laying off uh, their writers or some or of their staff bought. members or being purchased by another large company. Mm-hmm. Or even, you know, while trying to read articles online, getting these incessant uh, pop-ups saying, please turn off your, your ad block. That's, mm-hmm. uh, that's one I've noticed a lot lately. Every day. Yeah. Um, and it started on just like sites like uh, Popular Science and, you know, things like that. Now it's everywhere. Uh, there's a reason for that. Um, we are in the midst of a uh, new media adpocalypse. See what I did there? Ad, ad as in advertisement. Mm-hmm. I didn't coin this term. I found it online, but <laughs> it's an apt term. Yeah. for what's going on? Uh, basically, um, between ad blockers and, and a number of other issues right now, uh, algorithm changes on Google and Facebook and Twitter, uh, all of this stuff together is leading to it becoming very difficult for websites to make money off of advertisements. Um, They're finding that uh, their ad revenue is drying up because people either aren't seeing the ads, aren't clicking on them, or there's too many content providers out there and too much content, that infinite content that we've talked about uh, previously. Yeah, it seemed infinite at one point, but uh, it's drying up quickly because people can't make money at it. Google and Facebook alone account for over 60% of ads online. So if you mess up and Google or Facebook doesn't want to advertise with you anymore, there goes all of your advertisers. So The Atlantic published this article um, actually last November, so it's been a couple months, uh, called How to Survive the Media Apocalypse. And it makes this... uh, observation that I think last year and the year before, a lot of these big sites um, started saying that they were going to pivot to video. Pivot to Mm -hmm. video kind of became a a catchphrase. There was all this venture capital money coming in because a lot of these sites like tried to expand aggressively and they hired a ton of people. Um, They did IPOs and uh, got uh, investor money in um, so they could expand. Uh, And then now that investor money is kind of drying up. And all these sites uh, have been chasing the ad money. And for a while, the ad money was in video. So that pivot Mm -hmm. to video explains why a lot of these websites like hired big video teams and pushed pushed YouTube because that's what Facebook was prioritizing. Right. Um, Yeah, the Facebook news feed would... You would, you would be much more likely to have your video or your content show up um, on Facebook so that people would actually see it in their news feed. If it was a video, yeah, for a long time, they figured that people didn't like to read anymore. Therefore, they wouldn't click on ads uh, in articles. People instead went to YouTube to catch up on the news, to learn how to sew, to you know do whatever they needed to do. And uh, that was where the ads were. That's where the money was coming from. Hence, pivot to video. Yeah. <laughs> so the uh, what's funny is in this uh, Atlantic article, um, the subheading is. Pivot to readers, because mm-hmm. video is drying up and not making money for people anymore. It's expensive and time-consuming to produce. People don't like to sit and watch it in their newsfeed. 
Thing, the thing about video is people will watch hours of it if they go to YouTube and they're looking for something in particular. But if it's forced on them, uh, people don't tend to like to watch videos. Right. If it's if you know Facebook started doing that auto playing videos in your feed, um, oh, which is killer on my uh, data plan uh, for my cell phone. <laughs> yeah, but you, you, I've noticed that Facebook and Twitter and a bunch of other websites, social media sites, have been doing that where it auto plays the videos. Mm-hmm. Because the commercials that they inject into videos, people can't skip them most of the time. And right. they, that's the most expensive advertising online. Like, that's the best way to make advertising money online is uh, these commercials in videos or these ads that show up in videos. Mm-hmm. Well, it's interesting. Uh, this year, Facebook has stopped prioritizing videos actually facebook is now currently and this is this is pretty new news uh facebook is currently deprioritizing all news media Uh, (laughs) (laughs) i think it's fallout over um i mean we talked about uh had an episode um a couple episodes back about uh the fake news um that showed up in news feeds and things like that during the election and i think there's been a lot of uh, a backlash against facebook for not uh, being better with its content. So now they're, they're deprioritizing news in general. And this is news to me. I didn't hear about this until Joel mentioned it to me earlier today. I was surprised because it seemed like after the, uh, the election cycle, uh, Facebook was really working hard on getting to the root of the problem and trying to fix it. Now it seems like they've just given up <laughs> and are taking kind of the easy road to just get rid of it altogether. Yeah, so this was a, a New York Times article from last week, uh, January 12th, um, said, uh, Facebook is changing. What does that mean for your news feed? Um, Facebook has overhauled how it ranks the posts, videos, and photos that appear in users' news feeds, introducing major changes designed to put what friends and family have to say first. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're reprioritizing those personal conversations with people so that your friends and family's posts actually show up in the feed rather than corporate advertisements more often than not. It's an interesting tactic because Facebook makes most of its money off advertising Mm -hmm. uh, and their stock has actually taken uh, a hit. Very interesting. I kind of understand why they're doing it. We'll see how long it lasts because, you know, if you get unhappy stock (laughs) stockholders, uh, they will tend to put pressure to change things. They want to make money. I think it's all part of Mark Zuckerberg's big kind of PR campaign, trying to rehabilitate his image right now. Yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty likely that that's the case. <laughs> He's still the the major shareholder, or can can kind of do what he wants with the company. Um, yep. Yeah, but uh, Facebook isn't the only, you know, online um, behemoth making changes. Uh, Google is making a ton of changes right now. We mentioned YouTube changes. Mm-hmm. Um, they've recently uh, demonetized videos um, for people, uh, yeah. unless you have a certain number of um, followers or people, or, and people watch a certain number of hours of your videos every month or something like that. Right. They've, There's like a threshold you have to reach before you can make any money off your videos. Yes. I don't remember exactly what that threshold is. It's something like... I think it's like a 1,000 followers um, is the minimum number of followers you need. Okay. See, I wanted to say it was like a 1,000 views for a video to be monetized and then like 10,000 followers or something extreme like that, but I could be way wrong. So if you don't know how the, the YouTube economy works, basically 
people make videos, they put them on YouTube, they can decide if uh, they want to have advertisements on their video. Of course, advertisements make YouTube money, which in turn makes Google money because Google owns YouTube. Um, and then Google and pays back point, yeah, yeah, money to the point, people that make the videos. Exactly. So for a little while, you might be kind of working for YouTube for free, basically, just making them money. And they will still take the cut of any money that you make. But at some point, once your videos start getting enough likes, start getting enough watches, once you are being followed enough, they will start giving you uh, some of that money back as well. That's made from advertisements. But so Joel's talking about demonetization. So YouTube has made it harder for people to... Um, start making money on YouTube, but they've also tweaked their algorithm quite a bit to see what is considered to be offensive content that advertisers may not want to associate with. And that in turn has led to a lot of uh, demonetization that has upset some YouTubers. Yeah, and I know we've had uh, we've had an episode of this podcast also about um, like these content creators out there, these YouTube celebrities that uh, have, especially among younger kids, uh, become very popular. People live their life online, streaming almost everything they do, and and uh, you know YouTube has made that possible, uh, but now they're kind of pulling back a little bit and making it more difficult for people to actually make money from this platform. Mm-hmm. So. Video everywhere right now is kind of taking a hit, um, and sites are finding that in order to consistently make money, there's got to be a change. Um, right. And I think that we've grown up with the internet where everything is basically free to, uh, to read or watch or, you know, there's... Yeah. There's, and the trade-off has always been, like, there's ads and things like that. But yep. since the ads aren't uh, doing it anymore, or they're easy to block with ad blockers, mm-hmm. it's things are changing rapidly. I mean, it started, what, probably... When, when did, like, New York Times originally put up its paywall, where you could only read a certain number of articles? I mean, that was like, a number of years ago. It was, it's yeah, been, it like, was five to ten ago. years. In fact, I couldn't get the uh, New York Times article sent to me earlier today, because I already reached my monthly limit. Um... <laughs> Yeah, it started with those kinds of mini paywalls, uh, and the big newspapers and the big publishers um, are the ones that have been able to successfully, or at least somewhat successfully, implement those paywalls. Yeah, their their income depends on that traffic, and uh, they have more traffic <laughs> just based off the fact of they're the New York Times. It's been more difficult for smaller websites to kind of uh, implement that kind of structure, but I'm thinking we're going to start seeing it a lot more or th- you know services like patreon have been popping up it, yeah that's something that i've yeah. been seeing a lot of is people that would be normally making their living on a site like youtube or by you know writing a blog or doing something like that um can no longer make their living doing that because the ad money just isn't there anymore so they turn to a service like patreon in order to continue to make a living and you know provide this digital product that people love so much Patreon is um, it's basically like a, a subscription service that you can just like throw you know a certain amount of money to someone every month and in turn they will continue to create content which is usually freely available to everyone but then there's usually little perks for subscribing you get extra content you get behind the scenes stuff that sort of thing yeah so I see that a lot uh, I've, I've, I've seen patreon a lot lately especially mm-hmm. especially lately <laughs> yes um, 
a lot of YouTubers have been going to Patreon to try to supplement their YouTube income or replace it if possible. Mm -hmm. And a lot of uh, bloggers, like Colin mentioned, um, use Patreon. But what I've also seen, podcasts. There's a lot of podcasters out there that use Patreon as a a method of actually making money from their podcasts. Mm -hmm. So maybe we should set up a Patreon and... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, there was recently, Patreon tried to tweak its payment structure recently and was met with backlash, a ton of backlash. So, so the Patreon mostly works on small donations, like Mm -hmm. between one and like $5, um, a month that people give to their favorite writers or their favorite video creators. And, you know, having a ton of these small transactions adds up over time when it comes to credit card processing fees. Right. So uh, Patreon tried to implement a, um, a set charge. So out of every dollar um, or every, every transaction, uh, yeah, they, they were trying to implement just a general transaction fee of 35 cents per transaction. Right. But the thing is, when most of your patrons are donating a dollar a month, like that ends up being a huge chunk of the income that mm-hmm. someone might get from those small donations. So it really disincentivized small donations and was trying to get people to do bigger donations. But that's right. A, it, it hurt a lot of people that were making money off Patreon because suddenly they're seeing all these small donations get canceled because they didn't want all their money going to the company rather than to the, the person that they're trying to pay. I mean, and you got to think people that are you know, actively contributing to Patreon, they're probably contributing to multiple people. So, mm-hmm. I mean, people, someone may be spending, you know, $1 towards, you know, your favorite YouTuber, but maybe they're doing that for like five to 15 different people sure. every month. Um, yeah. So they're, they're supporting a, a, a number of people. So it adds up, but yeah. It adds up very quickly. Using that uh, transaction, like for every single transaction would severely hurt, uh, those small donations. Mm-hmm. I do think Patreon Patreon's kind of an ingenious solution uh, right now. I'm glad they backed off of uh, that transaction yes, fee. Um, me too. I mean, they got a lot of backlash. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's kind of cool that uh, I mean, that's one good thing about uh, the world we live in right now is like you can if yeah, you don't need to have a huge following to make money online. If right. you have a small group of people that are willing to pay you for a new article or video every week that mm-hmm. kind of thing like the name patreon it's you know the patron system which is you know you think back to like old-timey poets and things like that where they'd have <laughs> their rich patrons that would pay them to sure. write poetry yeah it's it's a kind of a cool model um and being able to kind of democratize that yeah. kind of an ingenious idea and a good solution to this kind of conundrum of how do you make money online and it means that people who don't have large followings but just have you know a passionate group of fans who really love their work are free to just continue to make their work without the financial worries of trying to figure out how to get advertisers to be on board with what you're doing or having to work another full-time or part-time job on top of creating what you're creating just in order to get by and yeah i mean a lot of people may not even be able to like quit their day job and make yeah. content professionally just based off Patreon. But it helps. But it helps, yeah. I mean, it subsidizes the at least, you know, the work you put into it, even if you're only doing a couple hours a day or mm-hmm. you get something out of it. Well, yeah. and then, too, there's, you know, creators who 
have very specific and sometimes expensive equipment demands. So if you have people broadcasting high quality broadcasts, you know, they have to have a set in their own home in order to do this. They have to have top quality microphones and cameras and all sorts of good stuff. And it costs a lot of money, thousands of dollars, tens of thousands of dollars. And sometimes patron just goes toward offsetting those costs. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Um, yeah. One thing I've noticed, too, uh, this kind of probably goes into it. A lot of people like that uh, have kind of an internet following have been doing like the game streaming as kind of a secondary thing. Um, yep. Because I, I think, and this probably, I, I don't know, like they're able to write off buying new video games as a business expense. <laughs> <laughs> like, that could be. Like, it's like tax things. Like, <laughs> well, if I'm streaming this and making <laughs> a little bit of money off Patreon, I can write it down as a business expense. That could be. Um, ingenious ingenious solutions. It's not something I thought of before. <laughs> Granted, a lot of the um, kind of major online presences that do stream or do video reviews of video games get the games for free anyways yeah. because they're technically reviewers. If they have so a they following. review copies. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. no, that's a pretty valid point nonetheless. <laughs> it was announced that two more websites uh it was the all and um the all and the hairpin so these were humor uh this was both humor websites that uh specialize like they were they were basically like a blog but they specialized right. in publishing like humor articles and uh right. um kind of unique content um so those both got shut down in the last week um i think last year another indie blog called The Toast um, ended up folding also. Mm -hmm. um, and a couple of years ago, um, ESPN had Grantland, and they shut that down. And they, Grantland did more long-form journalistic pieces. Mm. Um, like, it, they, it was good, but it couldn't make money. <laughs> so That's happening more and more, too, yeah. with um, just, like, new media, even, like, news sources. Like, I think... Sites like Vice are still doing relatively well, but I believe that they're missing their projections by something like 20% for income. 
Yeah, um, yeah. I think that that was mentioned in that. Uh, yeah, Vice and BuzzFeed. That was uh, mentioned both in that. Uh, yeah. In that Atlantic article, as being down like twenty percent uh, each um, <laughs> for their projections, and I think that like Vice is owned by. Uh, Disney, actually, I think. I think so. Which is kind of weird. <laughs> but, um, yeah, or, or a, it's owned by a company that Disney owns, so right. it's like Disney owns everything. <laughs> yes. But uh, even, like, I mean, Gawker got shut down um, mm. recently. I guess that was a year or two ago now. Didn't um, Time Magazine just get sold to someone? Time too? Magazine just got bought. Not uh, that that's really a new media magazine but but um, yeah but time inc so not just time magazine but ah, people sports illustrated and time all yeah. got purchased by uh the meredith corporation it's not just digital media i guess it is print media that's still having this issue too which is weird because you know media. like new york times and washington post are both seeing subscriptions go through the roof right now just yes. because of the crazy news cycle but mm-hmm. um yeah, there's a lot of struggling entities out there, um, big and small. Um, one of my favorite websites that uh, I have been reading for years, uh, Cracked.com, oh, um, yeah. recently, uh, within the last two months, um, let go their entire video team. Mm-hmm. Like, And they were producing some pretty high-quality YouTube videos. They had series on YouTube. Yeah, I've um, watched a few of them. Yeah. They're good, amusing fun. Yeah, yeah. They have like pop culture shows, mm-hmm. and uh, they had like a, a joke news show, and then they do some scripted content too, like where actual storytelling. Right. Um, and they were doing some pretty cool things with video, um, but uh, yeah, their entire video team got let go, and they're going back to trying to do their their articles um, right. with a much smaller staff. I think they let go over 20 people um some of my favorite writers and um, editors all, all got let go but uh they have a core staff still that's still pumping out articles and it's interesting because just last year cracked got purchased for like 39 million dollars yeah and they were making money they were doing really well and they got um, they were owned by demand media and they got bought by the ew scripts company and for a lot more than I think what Demand Media paid for him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and then just less than a year later, like EW Scripts had to write down a huge loss um, because they paid too much for it, basically, which is also part of the problem. And that's what's so shocking about this, yeah. is all of this has been happening just in the last year. It's happened so quickly. Yeah. And really, it was just kind of misjudgment on the part of all these large companies where they expected that as more and more people were watching video, that um, the ad revenue from all that video watching would increase at the same pace at which the video watching was increasing. And that just did not happen. And and you have bigger companies, like Scripps was a publishing company, and they mm-hmm. bought a niche humor site, website, and all right. its staff for $40 million. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean... Maybe cracked. Cracked was making money uh, on its. It was self-sustaining. It was supporting itself. But yeah. like, if a company invests that much in, they're going to want to see a return on their investment. And if right now with the ad money drying up, uh, it, it just wasn't going to happen. So yeah, I think some other site. I don't remember which one. It might be Mashable. Um, oh yeah, was yeah, it was being Mashable. sold back for like a fifth of what was paid for it originally, <laughs> um, just because. 
the ad money all evaporated. There was no money in it anymore. So, yeah, Mashable was valued at $250 million mm-hmm. following its like round of funding, and it just got sold for $50 million, which was a fifth of what it was valued at. So like, yep. it's a big loss of value on a very, an, over a very short time. And we're seeing that everywhere. And I think a lot of it, too, is just because it's this investor money. It's these companies going, oh, I'm trying to conglomerate this bigger brand. I'm trying to get a bigger capture of the market share. So I'm going to, I don't care what it costs. I'm going to buy this brand because it has a following. And they're throwing money into it, expecting to uh, get money out of it. And suddenly they're not making money or they're still getting all the page views. It may, the traffic may not have declined at all, Mm -hmm. but the ad money dried up. So the investor yeah. money dried up, yep. but then there's a lot of people left holding this bag going, well, I paid the, I paid for this. I need this to do something. Exactly. Um, same thing's happening with a lot of alt weeklies too right now, like the LA Weekly uh, yeah. and the Gothamist. The LA Weekly was um, shocking when I saw the news yeah. about that. I still don't even really know what happened. It just <laughs> kind of detonated and it's just now owned by... Some like hidden like yeah. <laughs> yeah, wasn't it for a while nobody even know, knew what company had bought the LA Weekly yeah. and like laid off all they the laid staff off, like, the and then staff. like rehired like some other people to run it. Yeah, it. I don't even know where to begin with that. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe when a new story comes out that's broke all that down for us, we can yeah. begin to analyze what happened there. But it was quite sudden. So. Yeah, an interesting thing about the the whole cracked layoff thing. That's kind of where. Um, Patreon kind of jumped on my radar because suddenly I was following all these cracked personalities on Twitter and YouTube, and suddenly they're all out of a job, right. and now they're all trying to start podcasts or start their own like like video channel, but mm-hmm. they're all going to Patreon and trying to get like using their you know as fa- they're not really famous people, but they ha- might have a following, yeah. um, and trying to use use that built-in following to support themselves, doing continuing to do what they were doing before, just on their own without a corporate sponsor right um which you know more power to you if you can if you can make it the problem is i'm like i'm seeing like oh it's interesting they're all appearing on each other's podcasts now too <laughs> like, so, Some cross so they're, promotion. They're, they're helping each other out but yeah. uh <laughs> um but at the same time like that many people all at once trying to start up on their own it's going to be difficult to actually keep that sustaining like when they all worked for cracked it was easy to support one their employer mm-hmm. um but when they're all on their own and you got to pay them all separately like it becomes it more difficult it makes me wonder yeah. if there's at any point we'll hit like a not an ad apocalypse obviously because ads won't be involved at all but some kind of patreon based apocalypse where that has just been saturated and people are supporting tons of people and they can't support anyone else and, and then they stop supporting people or they yeah yeah it's I one don't. of those things where i mean it's kind of how the internet is uh it's kind of how youtube has already been like the people rise above others there's mm-hmm. people that can make millions of dollars doing it because of their audience and there's people that uh that can't and you know we talked about this on the infinite content podcast uh Finding your audience is difficult, to, but because everybody's trying to be a content creator, so yeah, it's, it's... everyone, everyone I feel that is like younger than me wants to be a YouTube star, and I don't know how that's going to work out for any of them. 
yeah, there's not enough hours in the day. <laughs> and some of these people post hours of video every day. Yeah, I, I didn't bring the I article with me. I get but how anyone can live their life that way. Well, there, there was an article about <laughs> the rampant mental health issues that are happening in like the YouTube and Twitch communities because they have to work all day every day. You know, they have to always be on. Always be on. 12 to like 20 hours a day. Some of these guys get like four or five hours of sleep a night, if that. And they're just producing content constantly. And if they don't post a day or something, like their audience gets mad at them. Or, but it seems like way to live. every other week another one of these YouTubers has some sort of stupid blow up where, <laughs> where they say the wrong thing. Or they say something on their stream that, mm -hmm. you know, has a backlash because it was they're being racist or being stupid or, you know, insulting someone. Um, or just posting content that displays very little human decency uh, like in the, one particular case. Yeah, that, um, well, I can't even think. Logan, Logan Paul. Yeah, yeah, that story, if you didn't hear about that recently, a YouTuber... I don't even know how to describe him. I watched like one of his videos and he was like super obnoxious. Yeah, <laughs> it's not not for me. Yeah, no, I, but little kids. Like, I don't know why little kids like watching this stuff, but they do. They like the yeah. overblown personalities, yeah. the very hyped up um, so, kind of sugar frenzy style of video. Yeah, so I guess he, he went to, uh, to Japan mm -hmm. and um, was being obnoxious in Japan. But uh, one of his videos in particular uh, was when he went into this forest known for people committing suicide and then filmed a dead body in it. And posted it to YouTube. And posted it to YouTube. Where millions of kids and other people saw yeah. it. Yeah, so, yeah, he, uh, that, that kind of blew up in his face, obviously. <laughs> well, and this is what's been triggering, at least on YouTube, a lot of these kind of like micro-ad apocalypses where one YouTuber associated with one kind of content will do something uh, questionable and then advertisers will pull all of their ads from not only that YouTuber, but also from anyone else that produces content that's in any way similar or related to that YouTuber's content. So yeah. then you have one person kind of messing it up for everyone, and droves of people see significant cuts to their, to their monthly income. Yeah. It's, well, I mean, it's interesting because YouTube has become kind of a, a platform that uh, certain groups are trying to take advantage of to recruit. Um, I mean, you're going to find there, there's so many like alt-right or openly like racist or neo-Nazi uh, people on mm -hmm. YouTube that are using the platform to try to gain a following with younger people. Like they may start by doing like video game videos and then slowly start uh, um, putting more of this uh, intentionally racist or intentionally divisive uh, information right. in in their videos and it works surprisingly sometimes like a, a lot of uh there's a lot of this stuff on youtube so so when you see some like brands not wanting to be associated with uh just an entire topic like video games on uh on youtube some of it can is because of this like mm -hmm. Oh, my video ended up being put on this uh prominent racist bloggers video because <laughs> like, yes <laughs> So it's kind of a guilty by association sort of thing. Yeah. And it's easy to sympathize with the companies uh, because, you know, you don't want your content or your product being associated in any way, shape or form with um, some of this content that's being produced on YouTube. Yeah. But then there's a lot of, you know, innocent people that get caught up in it. Yes. There's people that are, you know, just just, uh, you know, may, they may post a video every once in a while and it may 
have something to do with video games. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because they post one video that has to do with video games, all of their videos get demonetized. Yeah, it's... I, I mean, I one uh, Let's Player that I watch on YouTube mainly does like horror-themed video games, but not all of his games are that way, but because some of his... Some of the games had adult content in it because it was horror themed. Every single one of his videos got demonetized, even yeah. when he's playing like a Nintendo game or something like that. Like they stripped, they stripped mm-hmm. it all away just because some of the videos are more adult themed. And part so, of the reason this happens is because YouTube doesn't have people personally checking these videos to see if um, the content is questionable. It's all just based on algorithms. Yeah. So. And it all just happens automatically. Yeah, everyone's at the, the will of, uh, of the algorithm. <laughs> yeah. And that's kind of a problem with not just YouTube. Like, that was the problem with Facebook and the mm-hmm. problem with Twitter as well. Like, certain content being buried, certain content being pushed, and advertising just being stuck in the middle. Yeah. And it makes me wonder, taking, like, a long view, is if... Um, I mean, we've all known that newspapers have been dying for a long time, like print newspapers and print magazines and all that kind of stuff. It all uh, makes me wonder if this is just kind of like the natural way that media goes eventually. Um, something new comes along and is better than what came before, supposedly. And what came before dries up. What is new is great for a little while, and then it eventually, too, starts to have problems and can't make any money. And something new er, comes along to replace it. What do you think we're going to see in the future, um, in the near future, with all this happening right now? Like, how are, how are websites going to survive, and uh, how are content creators going to survive outside of, you know, the Patreon model? Well, I think for bigger companies, there's going to be a little bit of a culling, where you're going to see a lot of companies that do sort of the same thing as one another kind of go away. Um, there's so many supposedly like news sites that really just trade in memes and like clickbaity articles and all that kind of stuff that were valued for millions of dollars at one point but because none of them are doing anything different and they're all just kind of copycatting one another i think they're just going to go away and one of the other things i've noticed recently is like all the uh the news and politics sites that basically repost an article from someone else's like from a mainstream source yes but then give it either a positive or negative like connotation like mm-hmm. in the headline like they like change the headline and it's like maybe rewrite the content but uh it's the same story it just depend like they are legitimately going either right wing or left wing with it and trying to like push a narrative and right. there's a ton of these sites right now and they all kind of follow the same formula for doing this yeah. <laughs> from it's- the title all the way down through the content Whereas if, if you just read the, the Washington Post or New York Times or CNN article that mm-hmm. it was based off of, you'd get a, a much clearer picture. But by trying to frame it a certain way, it just kind of tries to up the outrage factor so it'll get shared more. Right. Which is why a lot of that stuff ended up being on Facebook a lot more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it'll be interesting to see how the Facebook algorithm changes yeah. those business models. So I think that's what's going to happen to them. Um, you'll probably have one or two survive, or more than one or two, but you know, a small handful of what's out there currently survive yeah. just because they're doing it slightly better than anyone else. But then as for like New York Times and other companies like that, I think they're going to go back to doing articles and like Crack that you mentioned earlier. 
instead of doing any video, they're just going to go straight back to doing articles as well. Um, I, I think we're going to see a lot more subscription-based um, yes, sources as well. Like, that's the thing. I have a feeling subscriptions are going to make a huge comeback online soon, and we're no longer going to be getting free content. I think, I think a lot of sites are going to change, and if they like change towards subscription models, and if they can't hack it, then they'll close. They'll go away. Yeah, it's already kind of that way now, where it seems like if I just go to like the general like Google News page half the articles I click on, it either tells me to turn off my ad blocker so they can keep making their ad money, or it tells me to subscribe so that I can see all their content. I imagine by the end of this year, like seven out of 10 articles I click on will be one of those two things, or both of them at the same time. I think we may see like a rise of the small blog again too. Like people that are just doing it as a hobby rather than trying to actually trying to make, make a living, a living at it. it. Um, and and we're going to see a lot of those rehosting sites kind of go away. Yeah. There's going to be more of an investment in unique and original content and reporting. Right. Yeah. Hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. I mean, that would be good, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I think that, uh, yeah, things are going to keep changing, and it's every time an algorithm changes, and it's... Facebook has been changing their algorithm every six months for the past couple of years. Well, I remember and... trying to do SEO, search engine <laughs> optimization, and like yeah. getting, uh, yeah, getting having to completely change the way people do SEO every time Google made an algorithm change. Well, and the yeah. encouraging thing too is that some companies are kind of showing signs of maybe moving away from being wholly algorithm based. Um, YouTube, I think just late last year, announced that they were planning on hiring uh, 10,000 people to manually review content for them instead of just solely relying on algorithms to do the hard work for them. Would that be a good job or a nightmare job? I can't, I can't even <laughs> think about that. It depends <laughs> on what you ha I think it depends on what they had you watching. Yeah, it's like, um, it could go either way. Like watching seven hours of children's programming or <sighs> just amateur video. Of I think it could be a nightmare talking. one day and a really awesome thing the next day. <laughs> it just would vary wildly. But like the fact that, you know, we talked about this in the Infinite Content podcast, like there's so much so many days of video or months of weeks of video posted to YouTube every day that it would be impossible to go through all of it. And it is impossible. I think they just are going to be relying on the community flagging videos as inappropriate. And then instead of running their algorithm and seeing if the video is inappropriate or not, having an actual human being sit down and watch it and make a judgment call. Um, granted, I have no idea how many videos get flagged as inappropriate every day. I assume millions. Yeah, and that's a thing that's been happening on Twitter lately is uh, people getting mobbed by with with flags, um, sure. even though they're not doing like, and they get like shadow banned for a day because they got too many people reporting them. But really, they weren't posting anything bad. It was just like they're getting mobbed by uh, anti-feminists or anti yeah yeah like someone with political differences yeah. or something like that <laughs> yeah because people will go to Reddit and kind of like organize this big upswelling of anger against someone mm -hmm. that they don't agree with so they'll go and flag them and get them taken down for a little while yeah <laughs> yeah it's it's a wild west out there <laughs> it, it really is um, well hopefully uh it'll it'll be some good changes and not just yeah. like seeing some of our favorite websites lose a bunch of people that we really like <laughs> yeah uh, hopefully we'll see quality content rise to the top and 
And, you know, people are going to, like, these companies are going to have to learn to adapt yeah. all there is to it. Yeah, if newspapers lived through it, I assume that some of these uh, new media companies can live through it as well. But we just got to wait and see. It's interesting is a lot of newspapers, um, like, they may still be uh, losing readers or readership is down, mm-hmm. um, for, especially for, like, local papers. But uh, they're kept afloat by just a philanthropic, <laughs> philanthropic, I can't even say that word. I've- all you i'm not gonna try <laughs> a a very rich person philanthropist that uh, <laughs> that uh buys the paper and just keeps it afloat as kind of a hobby um you yeah. see i've seen that a lot uh, and then a strong core of passionate followers yeah, yeah. continue to subscribe to it and keep it just barely afloat i mean having this whole generation uh, that of people that are younger than us um be raised basically on free content it's gonna be hard to get people to change their uh their habits yeah but i have a feeling it's gonna happen it's gonna have to happen some people are younger than us i think are kind of being eased into it by having netflix accounts and stuff like that as well where you know they recognize the value in paying a monthly subscription fee to have access to lots of content that they wouldn't have access to otherwise or that they'd have to go way out of their way to get their hands on uh, through shadier means. Yeah. Well, I think it's been a good conver- uh, good conversation. Um, as always, we'll post all our links in the, uh, yeah. in the liner notes, show notes. And as always, if you have anything to add to the conversation, post a comment. Yeah, post a comment, send us an email, and yeah. we'll address it next time. All right, well, uh, thank you. Until next time.